Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture reading this morning is in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, verses 7 through 13. You may locate this passage on page 708 of your pew Bible. First, let us prepare our hearts with prayer. God of life, we are here because we need you. The more we encounter your word, the more we realize there is always something new to learn. So open our hearts, O God, and through your word, teach us your ways. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lord, you have enticed me, and I was enticed. You have overpowered me, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me, for whenever I speak, I must cry out, I must shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then within me there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is all around. Denounce him, let us denounce him. All my close friends are watching for me to stumble. Perhaps he can be enticed and we can prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble, and they will not prevail. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, you test the righteous. You see the heart and the mind. Let me see your retribution upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of evildoers. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So I've got good news and bad news. 
Uh, the good news is I'm not really going to preach a sermon today. I'm just going to sort of set up the sermons that are to come in this series. The bad news, it takes me just as long not to preach a sermon as it does to <laughs> preach a sermon. So I started working pretty early in my life. I was introduced to it in the allowance stage, you know. I got a quarter if I made my bed, did some dishes, and hung the towel up on the rack in the bathroom again. Shortly after that, I got a job mowing lawns in my neighborhood. Now, this was before that kind of job required a whole truck and trailer full of equipment. I just had a push mower and a gas can, and I walked down the street, and I could get five bucks for a largest kind of yard, and it was okay. but. Summer was hot in Alabama, and I had a particular gift of finding those yellow jacket nests in the ground. And so I quit that, and I got a job in the mall where it was air conditioned. I was selling shoes for floor shine. Turns out I am the worst salesman in the history of capitalism. I, when I started working there, they required me to purchase shoes, some of their shoes. They said I couldn't sell their shoes while I was wearing PF flyers. So I, I, I bought some of their shoes, and even at employee discount, it took me three months of commission just to pay for my own shoes. I realized this was not going to work, so I quit that, and I got a job as a fry cook at Western Sizzlin'. Working at that steakhouse would incentivize almost anyone to become a vegetarian. It was hot and greasy, and I, I learned that folks can be quite particular about their onion rings, even at Western Sizzlin'. I hated it. You may have had jobs in your life that you hated. At that time, I was still a student. My parents were paying for my life, so I just quit all those jobs. I just quit all of them. I realized I didn't really want a job. I wanted a calling. I, I didn't really want stuff I just had to do. I wanted to do something that fed me, a calling. Dan Sherman, in his book, Vocation, he says, these days the word calling often refers to what one loves to do, whether for pay or not. If a person loves her or his job, it is said that this job is a calling. Calling refers to one's passion. That's what I was missing. I wasn't called to cook onion rings. I needed something that would feed my soul. Jeremiah had a calling. He was a prophet. And all the prophets are called to be prophets. It's the only way you become a prophet. Some people kind of volunteer, but they're not really prophets. They're just whiners, you know? They're just complainers. It's not the same. The book of Jeremiah actually opens with God saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet. Jeremiah you were born for this. The problem is, he was born for it, but he hated it. The truth is, 
Most prophets would prefer to be anything else, even a fry cook at Western Sizzlin, than to be a prophet of God because prophets were never popular. Being a prophet, by definition, means that you see things differently than those around you. And you say so. And that's the rub. Because nobody, nobody wants to hear a word that challenges our view of life. I don't want that. You don't want that. Prophets always challenged what we assume to be true about God and the world and ourselves. They were fantastically annoying that way. And Jeremiah was particularly eloquent in naming his frustration. He said, I have become a laughingstock. Everyone mocks me. I speak your word, O God, and they think I'm a fool. And a few verses later, Jeremiah says, if I were born for this, it would be better that I had not ever been born. Now, given how much he hated it, you would think Jeremiah would just quit. Let someone else do the work. Hang it up. Had enough. And he probably would have if it had been about his passion. But it wasn't. And he couldn't. Because the calling of God is not always about our bliss, but it is about our responsibility particularly the responsibility to use the gifts that God has given us. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist in Vienna and was rounded up by the Nazis chanting blood and soil as they marched him into the camps in 1942. Frankl said the camps taught him something, that life is not first about our bliss. He said he learned to ask, not what do I want from life, but rather, what does life require of me? Frankel's own sense was that life had given him an assignment and placed a moral task before him. He sounds like the prophets. They recognized that God and the world had given them an assignment and placed a moral task before them. And they were obedient to it. In John Irving's book, A Prayer for Owen Meany, Owen is the son of reclusive parents who run a granite business. Owen is a strange young man, small in stature, strong in conviction, odd in personality, and he had a grating voice. A wrecked voice is how his best friend John described it. John's grandmother suggested that Owen should visit a voice coach to help him so that it wasn't so irritating to listen to this little guy. And John told his grandmother, Owen doesn't think it's right for him to try to change his voice. Why on earth doesn't he think it's right, she asked. 
He thinks his voice is for a purpose, that there's a reason for his voice being like that. What possible reason, she asked. Owen thinks his voice comes from God, I said quietly. Merciful heavens, Lydia's sake, I think that voice came from the devil. Nonsense, Grandma said. Nonsense to it coming from God or from the devil. It comes from granite. That's where it comes from. He breathed in all that dirt when he was a baby, and it made his voice queer, and it stunted his growth. Owen understood that his whole life belonged to God, and God had gifted him with this voice. And the only faithful option was to be a steward of it, even if it's a wrecked voice. That's how the prophets understood their lives. And truth be told, we should think the same about ours. For Jeremiah and all the prophets, they had a calling. And the calling was tied to their gift. And their gift was first and foremost the ability to see, to really see the truth of the present time. And it sounds odd, but the truth is not always easy to recognize. Sometimes we can look right at life and think we see it and still miss what's going on right in front of us. I've told you a bunch of times about my brother Gene, born with special needs and special gifts, and I've told you that his biggest dream in life is to drive a car. He's 57 years old now, and that dream still rumbles around in there a little bit. Of course, he's never going to drive. It's not going to happen. But about 20 years ago, uh, a group of buddies, we were going golfing, and we had room, and Gene went, went with us. Now, he can't play golf, but we'd get to the greens, and he'd drop a ball, and he'd putt. And it, was, it was fun. And Gene was riding in a cart with my, with my buddy, Eddie. Eddie kind of befriended Gene, kind of took him under his wing, and, and they, were, they were buddies. And we finished the front nine, and to get to the back nine, we had to drive by the putting green and, 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 the, and the clubhouse. And as we were going by in our carts, I noticed that everybody on the putting green and everybody kind of hanging around the clubhouse, they just stopped what they were doing, and they were watching us. They were just looking at us. It was kind of eerie. I didn't, I mean, this happens all the time. You know, golf carts go by. Why are they looking at us? I turned around, and that's when I realized why they were staring at us. Because Eddie, God love him, knew Gene wanted to drive. Eddie decided it would be a good idea to let Gene drive the golf cart. From the expression on Eddie's face, it was clear to me he was having serious second thoughts about whether this was a good idea or not. As Gene swerved and lunged and jumped, sometimes on the path, sometimes not. And I realized the people watching us were watching because they assumed this guy was drunk as a skunk and might run over them. That's what they, what they thought. But the look on my brother's face was delight, was joy. 
He was driving that cart. Now, I'm no prophet. God hasn't called me to be a prophet. But I know that those guys on the putting green didn't recognize the truth of what they saw. What they thought they were looking at was just an accident waiting to happen. But what was really going on is we were getting just a glimpse of God's promised day, that day when all that has gone wrong is made right. We live in confusing times. And sometimes it's hard to see what it is that God sees in us and in the world. And we need some help. And so God sent prophets. Because they see us and all the same way God does. And I can't explain that except it's a gift. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, he describes prophets this way. He said, the gift of the prophet is that, listen to this, they know what they see rather than simply seeing what they already know. They know what they see rather than simply seeing what they already know. That was their gift. They could see the truth of us and of all. And then they said so. And then they said so. Jeremiah says, I wish I didn't say so. I wish I were just quiet. Because I know as soon as I tell the truth that I see, I'm a laughingstock. People think I'm a fool. They mock me all day long. He said, so I decide I'm not going to speak anymore. And he says, if I say I will not mention God or speak anymore in his name, then within me there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary from holding it in, and I cannot anymore. He has no choice. This truth has to come out of him. This word has to come out of him. It will leave him a laughingstock in the eyes of many, but he has no other choice. He has to tell them what he sees. So when our, when our daughter was young, one of the gifts that she developed early was a really extraordinary capacity to talk. <laughs> she was really fantastic at this. I mean, this child, she, she would talk long and fast, and she could squeeze more words into breakfast than Daniel Webster could fit on 250 pages. And one, one time when my ears were just sliding off the side of my head, I, I said to her, I said, Sarah, sweetheart, let's play a game. She said, oh, yeah, let's play a game, Daddy. I said, let's play this game. Let's see who cannot talk for a whole minute. And she said, Daddy, that sounds fun, but now's not a good time. <laughs> this child knows what it is to have a word that just has to come out. The prophets were like that. The word of God lived in the prophets like fire shut up in their bones. And it had to come out. 
And here's the most important point. Why? Why was it so compelling? Why was it so essential for them to tell the people the truth of what they saw? Why couldn't they just be silent about it? If I understand it, I think it's because the prophets had the same love for God's people as God does. They have the same love for God's people as God does. Now, you might think of prophets as angry guys with wagging fingers, taking delight in telling you everything that you've done wrong. And, well, there's some of that. There is. They have their moments. But for the most part, what drove these prophets, what would not let them stay silent, They love the people of God just as God does. You see, they only spoke because God could see God's own children missing the point of their lives, shirking their responsibilities. They were not using their gifts. So God called the prophets to speak, to tell them what you see, because God refuses to give up on us. God refuses to give up on this world. And so God sends the prophets to say it again and again and again. So the next several weeks, I want us to listen to these challenging, sometimes hard words of love that come from God's prophets. I want us to because... We're living in confusing times. We live in a time where it seems that the big things, the really big things that matter to humanity are are being ignored. We're, We're living in times when some basic things being cast aside like like civilized people practicing a basic level of civility, like leaders feeling at least some obligation to be truthful, like strangers being respected at least, if not loved, as Jesus commanded rather than finding their humiliation and desperation a reason for our celebration. We're living in times when our systems need attention. Our politic needs redemption. Our economy needs to include more people. And and citizenship It needs to be something that's honorable, not just a platform for cynicism. We're living in confusing times, and it sometimes feels like all the grown-ups have left, and nobody's really in charge. 
and nobody's really leading us, and it's, it's hard to see what's really going on. But maybe if we sit with these ancient voices of God, it might help us see something we haven't seen before, or maybe remind us of some things we have forgotten, and maybe it'll help. I'm confident of this. God refuses to give up on us. That's why she sent the prophets in the first place. So maybe it'll help us to listen to them again. We'll see. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.